Well, good morning, and uh, a warm welcome to uh, all of you here, and those that are watching online as well, we welcome you uh, to our service this morning. Uh, I have a couple of notices to give before we begin, uh, based on a few questions uh, that have been coming in. Uh, I emailed this out last night, but I'll uh, repeat what uh, we're saying. Uh, you may have heard on Friday uh, that the government made an announcement that from the 8th of August, uh, face coverings must be worn in a host of indoor places, uh, one of which is uh, places of worship. Now, this doesn't apply to those who are under 11 years old, and there are some other uh, exemptions in the guidelines which you can read for yourself, uh, but this is uh, a legal requirement that we must adhere to as a church. And so in the spirit of submitting to those who are in authority over us, uh, and in the spirit of loving our neighbor, uh, we will be uh, having our service, but we will all have to be wearing face coverings. And now, I went to the shop um, the other day. This is a little story about a face mask issue. Uh, and I went uh, to get some milk, because we'd run out. Uh, and I got to the shop, and I thought, ah, I've forgotten my mask. I had to walk all the way home and get my mask. At church, we have a whole heap of spare ones. So if you find the, the situation where you come to church, you're halfway here, and you think, oh, no, I've forgotten my mask. Don't worry. Uh, we will be able to provide you with one. Uh, but if you've got your own, that is even better. So from next Sunday, we are asking that everybody who comes to church uh, wears a face mask. Uh, after the service today, uh, we will be participating in the Lord's Supper, but this will not be on the live stream. So if you're watching uh, online, uh, the, there will be a song after the sermon, and then after that song, uh, the live stream will end, and those that are here uh, will then continue to participate in the Lord's Supper. Uh, the other notice I just wanted to give was that as a, as a church, we are uh, adhering to the guidelines that the government have put for us, and I would ask that all of us do continue to do that. Uh, we are going to have some congregational readings and prayers as part of our worship, uh, and I would ask if you could uh, just keep your voices when we do that to a conversational level. Uh, not shouting out uh, the words. Now, I know that adhering to these guidelines does make our service less than what we want it to be. Uh, lots of people have said that. It's not the same. That's because there are restrictions. It's not going to be the same until everything has finished and we can start meeting again normally. But we are called to submit to those in authority as Christians uh, and to love our neighbor. So, Let's do that, but also I would encourage all of us to be praying uh, that we can soon be back to where we were and be able to worship as we would like to. But I do thank you um, for bearing with uh, us as we've tried to uh, put these things in place. We do appreciate and know that it isn't easy and it's not what we would want, but it's where we are. So thank you for that. So having said all that, uh, we come now to... Uh, worship the Lord. Uh, and at all times and in all seasons, we can uh, truly say uh, that the Lord is good to us. We can give thanks to him and we can praise him. Uh, worship the Lord. Uh, and at all times and in all seasons, we can uh, truly say uh, that the Lord is good to us. We can give thanks to him and we can praise him. And we're going to do that now. First of all, we're going to stand and read a scripture together. And then as we sit back down, we're going to listen uh, to the song, Holy, Holy, Holy. So let's stand together and read the scriptures from 1 Chronicles uh, chapter 16. Let's read this together. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. 
Let the heavens rejoice. Let the nation earth be glad. Let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let the trees of the forest sing. Let them sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Cry out, save us, God our Saviour. Gather us and deliver us from the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. This morning we're going to return to our series on the Ten Commandments and we're going to be thinking especially about the command uh, you shall not commit adultery which is where we uh, got to in uh, March. Now in the Bible uh, King Solomon was a man who failed uh, miserably in this area and he writes uh, Proverbs chapter 7 which you may think is strange for him to write but actually, I believe he's writing this from his experience of failure. Uh, and almost, I would guess, with tears in his eyes, saying to his own children, don't do uh, what I've done. So I'm going to read uh, Proverbs chapter 7, in which uh, we're warned not to go down the kind of road that Solomon went down uh, in adultery. So I'm going to read you that chapter, Proverbs 
chapter 7. I'll just give you one uh, short moment to find that before we read. Proverbs 7. My son, keep my words and store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And to insight, you are my relative. They will keep you from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words. At the window of my house, I looked through the lattice. I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men a youth who had no sense. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house. At twilight, as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute with crafty intent. She is unruly and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, and at every corner she lurks. She took hold of him and kissed him, and with a brazen face she said, Today I have fulfilled my vows, and I have food for my fellowship offering at home. So I came out to meet you. I looked for you and I found you. I have covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money and will not be home till full moon. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your hearts turn to her ways or stray to her paths. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death. This is God's word. Uh, adultery is actually uh, about longing to be fulfilled, but going to the wrong place to find that fulfillment. Only God can fill our deepest longings. And our next song reminds us of this. It's taken from Psalm 42. Uh, the song is As the Deer.
So let's, uh, let's bow our heads and let us pray. Our Father in heaven, uh, we uh, know that uh, sometimes uh, technology, uh, as wonderful as it is, it is uh, isn't perfect. Uh, and we do thank you that uh, as we pray, we know that we need uh, no technology, but that we can come to you at all times, uh, in any time uh, for a relationship with you. And as we've thought about that, pro- uh, that proverb in chapter 7, we recognize, Heavenly Father, how we have failed uh, so often in this particular area. And we pray that you would forgive us for our sins and that you would deliver us from evil. We pray that as we come to your word today and as it is a, a hard word and a, a difficult command, that you would help us to listen, to understand and to apply it to our lives, that we would long, above all things, to worship you. We thank you that you provide for our deepest longings, and they are found in Jesus, who is the living water. We want to take time today as well, Heavenly Father, to pray uh, particularly for Pat Salt. And she has gone into uh, hospital this week, uh, waiting for her treatment to start. We pray Uh, that on this Sunday she would have a real sense of your presence with her as she reads your word, as she prays. I pray that her relationship with you uh, would uh, be deep, that you would sustain her, and that you would bring healing to her body, uh, and that you would help her in her time of need. And we pray uh, for her family, especially those uh, that do not know Christ, that at this time where she is... um, Uh, facing uh, such difficult time, even facing uh, death, we pray that her testimony uh, would be strong and share the Lord Jesus with those uh, who are not saved in her family, that they would come to know you. We also continue to pray uh, for those uh, who are not able to be with us physically at the moment. We pray uh, that they would know that you love them, that you are with them, and that they are still a part of this body uh, in Pelsall. Uh, And we pray also, Father, that you would quickly bring the day uh, when we can all meet together, we can sing out loud and do all the things that we long to do, indeed that you've asked us to do, in order to worship you. Bring that day, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So are we ready to go? Okay. Not the song. Okay, in that case... If you open your Bibles (laughs) to Exodus chapter 20. Uh, Exodus chapter 20 is where we find uh, the Ten Commandments. And this morning we're going to look specifically uh, at verse 14. Where we find the command, you shall not commit adultery. Well, in uh, 1631, uh, a Bible was printed by two men called Robert Barker and Martin Lucas, and it contained an error. I wonder if you can spot what the error in this Bible is in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 14. Of course, the error was that it, in the Ten Commandments said, you shall commit adultery. Missing the key word, not. Uh, This Bible is known as the Wicked Bible. And it was uncovered uh, by printers, uh, when it it was uncovered, sorry, by uh, people. The printers were summoned to King Charles I, and they were found guilty of this crime. They were fined £300, and their printing license was removed. And the entire print run of this offending text was called in and it was destroyed. However, not all of them were destroyed. Around 10 copies still are believed to be in existence today. And one of them, a few years ago, sold for over 30,000 pounds of this wicked Bible. Now, there are many today who would love for that misprint to remain in our Bibles or to delete this command altogether. Why is this? Well, because all of the Ten Commandments uh, really deal with idols. 
idols are created things that are treated uh, as if they are God. And idols make promises to us. Uh, There's three promises that all idols really make. They promise to delight us, they promise to define us, and they promise to deliver us. And the idol that this command specifically seeks to free us from, because remember that the Ten Commandments are given to Israel when they are freed from slavery, so these are how free people live. The specific idol that this command speaks against is really the idol of sex god. And that god makes us three promises, to delight, define, and deliver. It promises to delight us. It tells us that we can have sex however we want it. No limits. It promises that it will be uh, all that we need, and you must have it to make you happy. Any rules on sex are seen as just miserable, not to be delighting you at all. It promises to define us. Notice how people define themselves today by who they are attracted to. Or whether they are attractive or not. And it promises to deliver us. It says, you will be truly free if you follow your desires and do whatever you want. This command in particular, out of all of the Ten Commandments, is seen as miserable and restrictive. But what sex God never tells us is that for all of its promises... It never delivers. It never talks about the shame and the guilt and the brokenness that sex outside of God's plan always involves. Sex God is a false God. But sex itself is a gift from the true God of the Bible. This command, as with all the others, is a command from our Creator. And the aim of our Creator is for us to enjoy His gifts as He intended and to flourish as His people. So if you look at verse 14, we see this seventh command. You shall not commit adultery. Well, what does this mean? Well, adultery really, uh, or not committing adultery rather, is meaning two things. No one is, first of all, allowed to have sex with any married person except his or her spouse. And secondly, no married person is to have sex with anyone other than his or her spouse. So don't have uh, sexual relations with another person's spouse and really only have it with your own. That's kind of the two parts to it. They're kind of the same, but you, you see what I mean, hopefully. Uh, So therefore, if anyone is not your spouse, then you're not to have sexual relations with them. Keep sex within marriage. That's what this command really means. Now, in the commandments preceding this, we have seen how we are to honor family when we're told to honor our father and mother. And we are told to honor life when we are told not to murder. Now, remember, to honor something is to, to value it, to treat it for what it is worth. And so in this command, we are being called whether we are married or not married, to honor marriage. And specifically, we are called to do this by recognizing that that, that God's design for sexual relations is the design that we are to follow as his people. Now, with all of the commands, they are given to us to show how we are to live as free people. And God, our Father and Creator, gives us this command for our freedom. It is not designed to make us miserable. It is not designed to to restrict us and, and all of those things that we're told. This is for our flourishing as God's people. And so first of all, it's helpful to look at how this command helps us to flourish. What is the freedom of honoring marriage? Well, God designed sex, and in Genesis 2, we see that design. Adam, the man, had named the animals, and having looked at all of them, realized that there wasn't a suitable helper for him. And so God made a woman from Adam's rib. And when Adam saw the woman, 
he sang what can be described as the first ever love song. This was top of the charts. It was the only one, so it was quite easy. But it's the first ever love song that was ever sung. And it was a man singing it to his wife. He said, uh, I don't know the tune, so I'm just going to read it to you. Uh, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. He looks at this woman and he is amazed. He's blown away by what has been given to him as this gift, this suitable helper. And then God links this song to marriage in verses 24 and 25. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So notice what marriage is here. This is where it's first defined for us. It's one man and one woman in a new family and it is for life. Jesus in the New Testament goes on to tell us uh, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So it's one man, one woman in a new family for life. Now, now there is an order here. They, they leave the father and mother and they are united and they become one flesh. And notice in verse 25, they were naked and they felt no shame. That is the ideal state of a marriage relationship. A husband blown away by the awesomeness of his wife, his helper, and both of them are naked with no shame. Now, notice that. How does this command free us? What greater freedom can we have than that phrase, no shame? It's a wonderful phrase, isn't it? No no shame. That's freedom right there, isn't it? When someone can give themselves totally to this other person with no shame whatsoever. Uh, One writer helpfully explains things like this. God's design is for complete loyalty and faithfulness. That is what makes marriage what it is. It is only with the walls of faithfulness in place that there can be true freedom in a relationship. Freedom to be open and intimate. Freedom to trust and depend. God knew what he was doing in designing marriage and saying that it needs faithfulness. And within this design, the Bible has only good things to say about sex. Song of Songs is a book that is a beautiful song about the joys of sexual love. Proverbs 5 commands her husband to delight in his wife's breasts. In 1 Corinthians 7, we read of married couples being told to have sex. Marital sexual love is presented as something beautiful, something exciting, and something good. But it also is presented as as having boundaries and also something which within this fallen world is going to have difficulties as well. The Bible's message about sex is not no sex, but rather better sex, or as the designer of it says it should be. Now, in the Bible, marriage is a big deal. One becomes two, two becomes one, and are joined together. And the sexual relationship does this joining. It joins together, and so anything outside of marriage is adultery against your husband or your wife, either your current one or your future, and it is always adultery against, ultimately, God. Because Jesus is described as the husband of the bride of Christ, and the bride of Christ is the church people. We see that in Ephesians 5. We looked at that a few, uh, maybe over a month ago, I guess, but not that long ago. And in Ephesians 5, we see this picture that explains a shadow of a far greater substance. Paul says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. It's a picture that explains the relationship between Jesus and the church. The marriage is the shadow. Jesus and the church is the far greater substance. 
And so the desire and the devotion and the deep satisfaction that we should have in marriage is also true of our relationship to God. The sexual union of husband and wife shadows that union that exists between Jesus and his people because the church is the bride of Christ. And that means that this applies to every Christian because some of us will never be married. Some of us will go through this life never experiencing sexual intimacy. Some of us have been abused in this situation. Some of us have had the tragedy of broken marriages. But we must all understand this. This closest of unions between two people on earth is a shadow of which the substance will be far greater, which all of God's people will enjoy in heaven. And we must understand this because it's so, it is very countercultural, but it is so true. In a world that is telling us that you Christians are just missing out on all the fun, the lies that sex God tells us, let me tell you this, nobody, not one Christian who has for God's glory foregone that intimacy on earth will be in heaven and regret that they didn't have that on earth. Rather, all will be eternally glad of their obedience to the will of God in this area. And all who obey in this will have an eternity to enjoy the wonders of deep relationship and intimacy with Jesus. That's not to say if you failed in this, you won't go to heaven. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is, because we'll come to the forgiveness aspect in a moment, that when we get to glory, there will be no Christian that will say, oh, I wish I'd have sinned a bit more on earth, right? We will be glad that we have followed Jesus. So let me encourage you with that against all the lies and rubbish that you what we receive in this area. So how do we obey this command? We obey it through faithfulness. And that's for all Christians. It's faithfulness in marriage, through our sexual intimacy with our spouse, and it's faithfulness in singleness through chastity. And in both of these paths, there is freedom and there is no shame. But there is one question that you might be thinking, but you might not be, but I was thinking about this when I was preparing. And the question is this. There are many in our world that are not following God's plan, and they are not appearing miserable. In fact, they appear to be having a great time. And that may be true. They may well be having a great time. But here's an illustration that might help answer the question, well, what about those people that are all having a great time? If you came to my house uh, and wanted a drink because you were thirsty... Okay, because remember that the sexual relationship uh, fulfills a desire. So if you liken it to thirst, you come and say, Steve, I want a drink. And I said, well, here's a, here's a glass. I want you to go up to the bathroom and I want you to put the glass in the toilet, scoop up some water and, and have a drink. How many of you would say, sure, thanks very much, Steve, and then go to my bathroom and do that? Well, nobody. I mean, you might... You know, as a teenager, I might have done it for a dare or something like that. But you wouldn't do that, would you? Why? Because it's toilet water and it's dirty. It, but here's the thing. You won't be thirsty after you've drunk it. You might be sick, but you won't be thirsty. It quenches the thirst, doesn't it? But it's toilet water. It's not the best that I could give you. You would expect me to offer you fresh clean water, wouldn't you, when you came for a drink at my house. Now, sex outside of God's plan, at its best, quenches the thirst like toilet water. But if you keep drinking it, you are just going to get sick. And the sickness in the end is going to be the judgment of God. What God has for us is so much better. The freedom that we, have, that we find by following Jesus Freedom that is found by faithfulness in our marriages and faithfulness in our singleness. So there is freedom in following this command in particular. And all of us, though, I would say everyone in this room in various ways, forfeit the freedom God has for us 
by believing the lies that sex God tells us, and we fall into sexual immorality. Now, in the New Testament, uh, this command is spoken of usually with the word sexual immorality, which is a translation of a Greek word, porneia. And it involves, porneia, any sex outside of marriage. And all of us here, I think in various times and various ways, have much shame and guilt from the failure of sexual immorality. Now Jesus speaks helpfully on this in the Sermon on the Mount, and he zones in on the heart. Uh, Listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So Jesus speaks here of looking lustfully at another person. But this includes, uh, I, I believe, things like thinking about sleeping with someone or imagining uh, romantic relationships with someone, uh, someone else who is not your spouse. It's, it's, the, it's the heart is the issue. It's not just, uh, you know, if, it's not, if you're blind, you cannot therefore co- not commit, adulter- you know, commit adultery. It's about the heart. That's the point. So it's about our imaginings and our thought life as well as where we're looking and what we're watching and so on. And so when we look at it like this as a heart issue, we can speak of a number of ways that we uh, fail in this uh, command today. I think a a massive one uh, for many is pornography. Uh, It's widely available at just the click of a button, isn't it? It is addictive. It is exploitative of women, especially those who have to perform in it. Uh, And there is a direct link between users of pornography and a rise in sexual abuse because people, especially men it seems, see one thing being played out uh, and acted on the screen and then they want to replay it. It's It's a massive problem in our world today. It dulls the appetite for God's good design for sex and I would say it's even worse than using the toilet water that I spoke of a moment ago. Uh, Another area of massive issue today is the issue of sexting. Uh, It's become a huge problem in recent years. Um, You know, when I was at school, if I was to go around with a naked picture of myself and show people, I wouldn't just be expelled. I'd be probably sent to a, a hospital somewhere. But now, pictures of people are being sent all over the place. uh, when When it first was happening, when I was working with the young people, my initial response was, how could anyone be so stupid? But that was because to to them I'm just old. And I've had to get past the response of how can you be so stupid to realizing that this is a a serious issue that so many people have. Uh, Every single year I'm dealing with uh, young people who have been sending indecent images of themselves to another person. It's happening all the time. And the, the, the consequences of it are huge uh, and devastating for so many. Uh, your body is for your spouse. It is not for anybody else. And I would just encourage you um, as a church to really pray for our young people in this particular area. It's, it, it, it is massive pressure today to be sending these things out. Uh, the, uh, there is uh, the way that we look at other people, we fail in this. Uh, looking at them in ways that undress them, uh, staring at people in ways we shouldn't, imagining things about people that we shouldn't imagine. Uh, we fail in, when we are involved in rude jokes and innuendo and making things people say into something that means uh, something dirty. Uh, and then there's the way that we can dress that can be so provocative as to show off our body to others. All of these things are failures in this area. And, all, uh, and, they, and I think it's safe to say, therefore, that all of us have failed and can say that we are adulterers. And God takes it seriously. In, in the, the Old Testament law, uh, sexual relations with someone else's wife was punishable by death. Uh, and Jesus goes on to talk about uh, the, the, the death that results from this kind of thing. The very next verses from the ones on the screen, uh, Jesus talks about the seriousness of it. He says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Jesus takes this extremely seriously. So should we. 
We read a moment ago in the Bible reading, Proverbs chapter 7. It's a, a really helpful passage, I think, to, that you can reread uh, in your own time to show the dangers of sexual immorality, how it's a spiral, how sex god, you can, you can swap the prostitute in the story for sex god, how it's seductive uh, and uh, brings you into a, 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 tri- a, a spiral of sin. It's a trap. Uh, where you're hunted down and brought into this trap. And Solomon, um, he understood this. He, he's credited with most of the Proverbs, and we read how he had so many wives and mistresses. And I can imagine him as an old man with tears in his eyes, saying to his son, don't do this. Don't go where I've gone, because the consequences for him and his kingdom were devastating. Well, when we think of our failure in this, and I think in this area in particular, particular, we can feel dirty, can't we? And we want to be clean. And that is exactly why Jesus came. That's the good news of the gospel. Jesus came to cleanse our hearts by taking our sin upon himself, even the sin of sexual immorality. And so in him we find the fulfillment of honoring marriage. Now you may think, well, how does Jesus fulfill honoring marriage? Uh, Surely he never had to worry about sexual temptation. Well, actually, I believe he did uh, have to resist sexual temptation because the letter to Hebrews tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, yet he did not sin. So in this command, as well as every other, He was the spotless son of God. Just imagine that for a moment. How he never had uh, one wrong thought about anybody else. There were no inappropriate looks. Nothing at all with Jesus. Absolutely perfect. And yet, he died in our place. He took our guilt and all of the shame and all of the filth that we have on us because of sexual immorality, it was all piled on him as he dies on the cross. And he pays for our sin, and he gives us a new life where Jesus is described in in John's gospel as living water. Now, you've got a choice there, if you link it to the other illustration, you've got toilet water or living water. It doesn't even compare, does it? Jesus is living water. You go to him for your refreshment, for satisfaction, and, you, and he's a stream that never, ever ends, continually flowing. Jesus is living water. Come to Jesus. Flee all of those other false gods and come to the living water of Jesus where you are always able to be refreshed, where all desires are ultimately met. Come to him. But Jesus fulfills this command, I think, in in the greatest way by uh, completing that picture that marriage paints. We are the bride of Christ, and all of our deepest longings are fulfilled in our husband, Jesus. Now, towards the end of the Bible, we have a description of this substance, of what we have to look forward to. Because in heaven, there will be no marriage between men and women. But there will be a wedding. No marriage, but a wedding. In Revelation, we read this. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Isn't that an amazing image that we who feel often so guilty and filthy are told here that we are given clean clothes to wear. It's a a complete change around. And as his bride, all of the desire and the devotion and the deep satisfaction um, in Jesus will be complete and fulfilled. That's on our wedding day. We will be his spotless bride, and all will be well. And on that day, we will see him as he is, and and he will delight us, 
And we will have pure joy for all eternity, where we will be naked but not ashamed. So Jesus is the true fulfillment of marriage and of honoring marriage. And we will be glad when we see him face to face that we have followed him in obedience to this command. But what does faithfulness look like? What does obeying this command look like on the positive side? What is a future of honoring marriage? Well, we know the wonderful heavenly future that awaits us. We can't wait for that day. But what about here and now? How do we joyfully and freely follow Jesus in obeying this command? Well, the Bible has much to say about avoiding sexual immorality. I won't show you all the verses, but we're told uh, to flee it, to have not a hint of it among us, to abstain from it, to put it to death, to av- and to avoid it. In Matthew chapter 5 that we read earlier, Jesus tells us to take drastic action to cut it out of our lives. And there's much that we can say practically in this regard. I would say that we should avoid one-to-one time alone with the opposite sex unless they're your wife or husband uh, or your sibling or your relations like your mum and dad, (laughs) that kind of thing as well. Uh, If they're not those uh, people, I would avoid one-to-one time with them. You may think you are okay, but as in Proverbs 7, adultery is like a hunter's trap that will catch you just when you think you are okay. And in fact, if ever you think you are okay in this command, you're probably not. You've got to be wary. It's a trap. Uh, Ladies, I I would just make an appeal on behalf of the men in our church to just be wary about how we dress. Now, I've spoken on this before, but I say it again to help us to be holy rather than a stumbling block for us. Immodest dressing is adultery of the heart. There is a difference between being attractive and seductive. Now, Jesus has commanded men not to look lustfully at a woman. And a man cannot stand before God or other people and say, well, it was their fault they didn't dress right. No, a man is responsible for his own sin. But in the interest of loving our neighbor, help the men in their battle with sin in this way. I would say that we ought to, as Christians, be careful what we watch and what we read. There is so much sexual content on our televisions, on our magazines, and in books. Uh, They can all be uh, causes of adultery. Uh, I would encourage all of you, especially especially men, I would say, to to make sure that on your uh, devices you have some kind of accountability software where you can be asked questions about what you are watching and what you are looking at um, and and be accountable to each other. Those things are helpful. They can also be unhelpful, actually, when it becomes too easy to confess, but at least for the period of time where you would be mortified to have to tell someone about this, I think they're really helpful. Uh, I think the other thing that we need to think about with this command is consider the consequences Now, in Proverbs 7, we saw at the end that Solomon explained how it leads to death. If you read, for example, uh, 1 Samuel 11, uh, David started off with a look, and he ends up with the consequences of really his whole family and kingdom being torn apart. When he was on his roof, looking at the woman in the bath, I tell you, he was not thinking about the end of the chapter, or about what what it would do to his kingdom, and his children, and so on and so forth. Because with sin, and I've said this before as well, you can always tell where it starts, but you never know where it will end. Think about the consequences. What will this do to my wife or my husband? What will this do to my children? What will this do to my testimony? Because you never know where this ends. Think about the consequences. And also, what does this do to the God who has loved me and died for me? Think about those things. I would also encourage you, or us all, uh, to confess this sin, specifically if you're married to your spouse. Confess your sin to them and ask their help in fighting against it. Much of the practical application here is about refraining from things. But if you are married, a very helpful application is to fulfill that sexual relationship with your spouse. Honor this command in that way. But in addition to these things, I think we will do well to honor our marriages by loving our spouses in word and deed. 
Don't make jokes about them or talk them down. It's unhelpful to them. It's unhelpful to you. Be devoted to each other and love each other. And just remember as well that the, the things that I'm saying don't do this, the places where the Bible says flee, avoid, kill, and so on, they're not restrictions as much as they are God saying to us, don't do this. There is a much better way. This is where freedom is found. It's, a, it's such a lie when we're told as Christians you're anti-sex and that you're restricted in all you do. It's rubbish. God has freed us to live as he made us. It's like telling a, a fish, you know what, you'd be way better on the beach. Duh. <laughs> you know? No. God, is, God is, has freed us, so let's live as free people. Well, sex God promises to delight us, define us, and deliver us. But only Jesus can do it. He is the God who created sex and the husband that delights us and defines us and delivers us. Only God does that. And only he can cleanse us from all the unrighteousness that has come from a failure in this command. There is a beauty to God's law, and to this law in particular, I think, that, that we've considered this morning. It's, God's way is so much better than the idols. Let's not long for a reprint of the wicked Bible, but rather praise God that he's shown us a much, much better way. Now, perhaps there are some today uh, who are feeling the weight of this. Uh, failing in this area has untold consequences. Uh, after David had sinned in this area, he prayed Psalm 51 and asked God to cleanse his heart. And in a moment, we will read that together. But before we, we do that, let me just close with some words from 1 Corinthians 6, which I think are helpful. They're helpful because they show us that we are no longer this way. We are new creations in Christ. We, are, we have a better way by following Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6, let's take these words to heart. It says, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And that goes through a number of Ten Commandments. But here's the key. That is what some of you were, past tense, were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That is what you were. It's not what you are anymore. God is changing us into our holy people, fit to be the bride of Christ. And one day, at our wedding with Jesus... This battle will be won. And then this command, which also is a promise, will be fulfilled. Because this is a promise that when we stand face to face with Jesus as Christians, will be said to us truly, you shall not commit adultery. It will no longer happen. It's a promise. You will not do this because you're with Jesus now. So as we respond to this word and before we come to the Lord's table, let us uh, pray together as a congregation some words from Psalm 51. Now this psalm was written by King David after he had committed adultery. And so we're going to read this as a prayer together. And then we're going to listen to uh, a part of this uh, sung. So if you would stand with me, we're just going to read two parts uh, together of Psalm 51. And let's pray this as a, as a confession not just in this area, but in all areas of sin, asking God to cleanse us. So let us pray. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence, or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and grant a willing spirit to sustain me. Please be seated.